You're listening to the Overeaters Anonymous Mid-Peninsula Podcast. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. For more information, please visit oamidpeninsula.org. Go ahead, Mary. We're ready. I'm Mary, and I am a compulsive eater. I am a compulsive eater. Um, the longer I'm in program, the more I see what a disease I have of, of my addiction is food. My addiction is eating. Um, I came into this program in 1976. I'll get into that in a little bit. Um, and I went to my home group this morning. It's 7 a.m. in um, Walnut Creek, but we're really on Zoom. And we don't want to go back in person because we have so many people from around the country that are attending that meeting and we really don't want them to go away. So we're continuing on Zoom and I'm very, very grateful for that. I have a profound hearing loss and um, I don't need any more resentments than I can already conjure up on my own. But when I go to a meeting and I can't hear, it's just not fun. And so Zoom has been a lifesaver for my program. It's catapulted me into a new dimension of being able to participate and start meetings. I love what Santa was talking about, um, the Tuesday meeting being started. I mean, you do get kind of get burned out. I haven't yet, but I helped start a Tuesday and a Wednesday meeting in Walnut Creek area. One is we read the big book line by line and when we first started it, it was kind of really slow. And, you know, people didn't know what to, how to relate to the big book. And we we're reading the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And over the, since Zoom started, it's like it, the pages, the words are just popping off the page. And people are sharing deeply in, in relating their compulsive eating and their recovery by, by using the big book. And we're doing the same on Tuesdays at four o'clock. And I can put that those meetings in the chat. We're doing that with the 12 and 12. And we're reading line by line. And I'm, I'm just quite amazed how God took over those two meetings. And people line up for the jobs in that meeting, which is just remarkable to me, just outstanding. I mean, you know, we had three people that wanted to be the secretary. And um, isn't that something? I just find that amazing. But I, um, my home group is a 7 a.m. meeting in Walnut Creek, or um, I don't know, if we just call it Saturday 7 a.m. And it's on Zoom. And um, I think this morning we had like 59 people on the meeting. And, you know, it's just a solid meeting. And I came into OA, um, I, I grew up eating. I grew up using food as my first addiction. I grew up using food to solace me. I came, came from a family that was really dysfunctional. And I also came from a family of women who were obese. You know, my mother didn't like my grandmother, my, her, her mother-in-law, and my grandmother was my love. And because she was, she was demonstrative in her feelings and she had a great giggle 
and she loved to eat. And I loved being with grandma because grandma made me feel safe and made me feel loved. And, um, you know, I just, food has always been the object of my attention. I can remember going to kindergarten and I remember that the other kids didn't finish their crackers that were given to them. And I would just sit there and covet every one of them. Why can't I have them? You know, I think the teacher let me do it a couple of times. Then she realized that she, you know, that I wasn't paying attention to school because I was looking for everybody else's food. Um, I started using food very young and, you know, I had no comprehension. That's what I was doing, but that's what I did. And then I got into my teens and I started adding alcohol to it and drugs. So I'm like a garbage dump of addictions. I've got, I'm a recovering alcoholic. I turned 45 years in April of sobriety. I um, have been a, you know, a pothead before I came into the program. And um, I've been in OA since 1976. And, you know, the topic at this morning's meeting, and I think I'm going to use it today was um, keep coming back, keep coming back. Because I, when I came into OA, I, I took came into OA first. That was my first 12-step program. I came into that meeting in um, San Diego, at Kensington Street, and my therapist, a, family, a marital counselor, referred me there because my husband and I went to marriage counseling thinking that something ought to help me with my eating. Um, I was blitzed out of my mind, you know, on pills when I went to therapy, but, you know, we didn't talk about that, but we did talk about my weight. And we thought that was the problem with the marriage because I was so ashamed of my weight. I weighed about 246 at the time. And, um, you know, this poor therapist would try to teach me how to, how to mindfully eat. I mean, she even took classes on it. She drove up to LA once to take a class on how to teach me how to eat. Well, she didn't even realize I didn't use a fork, let alone put a fork down when I was eating, you know, I just scarfed it up. But this, she referred me to her a receptionist who said she was going to a program called Overeaters Anonymous. And this was regular OA back, back in the day. And I went to my first meeting and my life changed profoundly that night. The woman that was speaking was a woman who's passed away since named Susie Taylor. And she was a compulsive overeater and an alcoholic, which was mind blowing to me. And she also talked about food and the way I was eating. She talked about compulsively eating, about hiding food in the garbage can and then digging it out or going to a party and, and trying not to let everybody see her eat, you know, that she would go hide portions of food in another room so she can go get it and not be scarfing it down the way she liked to scarf it down or taking things home, you know, because she didn't get enough. And she just rocked my world that night. And one of the things that rocked my world was the way um, people would laugh. You know, she'd talk about this horrible incident in my mind, a big drama, and she would laugh. They would laugh. Oh, ha, ha, you threw your food away and you got it out of the garbage can. And I thought, oh, my God, what's wrong with these people? And what was wrong with these people is that they they wanted what she had, that she had a solution from doing that. She didn't have to do that anymore. And she was a normal size. Oh, and by the way, she was a lesbian. And we I didn't know a lesbian. I never saw a lesbian, at least out in the open before. And here she's talking about, 
you know, her eating and she did touch on her drinking and that she was a she was a businesswoman. She owned a business and she was pretty, I think she was pretty successful, but she was a lesbian. And um, I was just so taken by her. Went up to her after the meeting and said, where do I pay? What do I do? And, you know, it's obvious I'm there for the weight. And and I she said, we don't we don't pay. We do a seven tradition. Explain that. And she said, and I went up to her and I whispered to her, I think I'm an alcoholic too. And I mean, I was, that's the first time I ever said that. I knew I had a problem with drinking long before I came in. And I didn't know there was a solution to that. I just knew that my parents' parents were alcoholic. And, you know, I just knew that I couldn't stop drinking. I tried to stop drinking for a long time. And I wasn't a real, you know, bad bottom alcoholic. I was kind of a silk sheet alcoholic where I mostly drank at home and I was I was enabled a lot by my poor husband. You know, he'd put me to bed at night when I'd have, you know, sugary things drooling out of my mouth and I'd pass out on the floor in front of the fireplace. And, you know, I was drunk out of my mind. He put me to bed. Never thought that was a problem. Um, <laughs> but I told this Susie that I was alcoholic also, and I was really embarrassed about it. And, you know, it was like my first meeting and she hollered across the room to this woman named Dorothy and she said, hey, Dorothy, we got an alcoholic over here. Bring the big book. And she did. And um, they explained to me that the big book was for alcoholism, but the program of Overeaters Anonymous used that book and replaced the words um, alcoholic with overeater. And I went home that night and I crossed out every word until I fell asleep of the word alcoholic and put overeater in it. And I still have that book. It's remarkable. But that book that night was just mind blowing because it, especially the doctor's opinion, because it talked about something I had no understanding of, but when I read it, I knew it, you know, about having a disease of compulsion, a mental obsession and an allergy of the body. And I was like, whoa, how did they know this stuff? You know, how did they know that this was it? I mean, I probably related it to first with the alcohol, because that was the book. But I also really got it that it was about the food. And I got into OA and I got really active in OA. I lost my weight and um, went to a lot of retreats, did, you know, got very active. But I had women in OA, not their fault, but there were women in OA that were also in Alcoholics Anonymous. And they could see I was really struggling because not only was I in Alcohol or Overeaters Anonymous, I was abstinent and I'd lost weight and I'd quit drinking. But for some godforsaken reason, I picked up pot and I was smoking pot around the clock all day long. I even held a newcomer meetings for four months on pot. And, you know, I'm very articulate. And I was very, very articulate when I was on pot holding a newcomer's meeting in OA. But I, these women saw that I was really dying, dying. Um, I had terrible family problems. And they decided I was going to have a meeting in my home, an OA meeting in my home, because um, I wasn't going to AA then. And I, they said, well, we'll be there on Thursdays at 10 o'clock. So my house had to be spotless. I visined my eyes and I ozium the house to get the pot smell off. And off they came to my house. One of them came on a bike. I mean, a motorcycle, a Harley, I think, no, Honda. And I thought, oh, please don't let the neighbors see this woman. She's in leathers, for God's sake. You know, oh, what am I going to do? These women are coming to my house. And, 
they held a step study for me for a couple of weeks. And then finally, I just fell apart one day at the meeting. And one of them, this little gal, little Beth, picked me up in her arms. I mean, she's like five one and I'm big girl. And she, um, she just held me. She said, if you think you're going to find a God of your understanding and a spiritual solution to this program while you're smoking pot all day long, it's not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. You need to make a decision. You have to decide whether you want this program or do you want to be on pot all day long? Well, I really like being on pot all day, but you know, it was, I was shamed of it because I couldn't stop that either. So I finally did stop and I, I did start going to the rooms of AA with these women and I put OA on the back burner. I'd go in and out, in and out, in and out. I'd go to meetings and, um, I'd go for long periods of time. This is almost 40 years and 40 some years ago. I go in and out down in San Diego. Then I moved to Long Beach. I got pretty active in Long Beach and, you know, I'd lose the weight. And then somebody would say, oh, let's go do this. Let's go out to eat here. And next thing you know, I was off and running again, but I kept coming back. I just kept coming back. Didn't want to, but I did. We moved up to the Bay Area in 1988, and um, one of the first people I met was Maggie. Um, my husband and I had been involved in a couples group in recovery down in Southern California, and we decided to start one in the Bay Area or in Mountain View where we lived. And um, I don't know, Maggie's husband, Bob, was going to meetings with us, and and um, I invited them to this couples group, and I haven't left Maggie since. <laughs> She's been one of my dearest, dearest people in my life. She's my, she's my person um, since 1988, 89. And I would go to meetings and she'd be there and I'd wave at her and, you know, blow smoke at, you know, ha ha, I'm here, look at this and pretend like I give, give, gave a shit, which I really didn't. And I'd come late and leave early, come late, leave early. And then I'd call Maggie and tell her how bad the meeting was. And, you know, Maggie is has a real strong Al-Anon program. And she would just say a few things and she wouldn't judge me. She just said, well, see you next week. See you next week. And then um, what happened for me is I real, I'd go to AA meetings for years and not hear the word of Alcoholics Anonymous. I'd hear the word they were talking it, but what I would hear is my disease of eating. I wasn't hearing the message about my one of my diseases. I was all screwed up because I kept knowing that I belonged in this program and that I was sober and I was probably going to stay sober, God, God willing, but the food was just monumental problem. And it's not about how much I ate. It's about the shame. I am a shame-based eater. And I, I mean, I'd go hide in the closet to change my clothes. I didn't want my husband to see me. I didn't want anybody to see me. The dog, I didn't want him to see me. And I had a lot of shame about, um, about having to keep buying new clothes because I, I I had my own business for a long time. I traveled the country, and I um, I needed good business clothes. So you know, every time I gained, I'd have to go to Nordstrom's and find something in the plus size. You know, they didn't carry good business clothes at Kmart, and I would you know, and I had ego involved in it too. But I just the shame and the and the and the merry-go-round with the food was just insanity just insane. Well, Maggie and I actually have the same birthday. And we've for years had the same birthday party every year. We'd go out to lunch and eat something very fat and eat them fried and have dessert and 
have our little party. In 2009, we go to have lunch at where we go, and she brings this damn bag of veggies and her own bread. What the hell's that about? And I wanted to order the fried thing we have for an appetizer. Oh, no, I'm not doing that right now. And, and then she brings out this little baggie full of vegetables. And I thought, well, for God's sake, what is she doing? And she told me about, oh, wait, how I look at Mary Beth just laughing. <laughs> and, and I was pretty pissed at her, you know, because I wanted to eat. I wanted that birthday cake. And, um, and I don't even think I did because, I, you know, it's too ashamed to do that without her doing it. So I was just dying behind the food, just dying behind the food. And I was a fraud. That's what I felt. I was a fraud in this in AA because I was in, actively in my disease, in another disease, and going to meetings pretending like everything was okay. And, and I had a lot of sobriety at that point. And I was sponsoring people, and I'm a fraud. You know, I'm not, I'm a fraud. I'm a spiritual fraud because God wasn't, I wasn't letting God help me. So I went to this women's, I'm going again in September, but I go to this women's retreat. It's out in the mountains, San Mateo, and it's with AA women. And there's some real normal people in this world, believe it or not. These women brought everything they hadn't eaten since the year before at the retreat that was gooey and chocolatey and sugary. They'd bring every binge food they could think of and then not even eat half of it. But I got myself in that room and I just went nuts with the food, that retreat. And I remember going up to my AA sponsor after the meeting, after the retreat, and just, Penny, I don't think I can ever come back. I, I'm so sick here. I could, and I have physical difficulties. I have, some, um, I have some physical challenges. And I couldn't walk from, you know, like, you know, like the San Mateo meeting at the church there. I couldn't have walked, get out of the car and gotten into that room. I was so disabled from the food and the weight and the, and my own, you know, triggering my own disabilities get worse. And Penny just took me in her arms and said, it's going to be okay. I hope you do come back. And I haven't been back till this coming September. So I was just dying and I knew it and I knew I needed help. So I called my friend Maggie one day and Maggie's not a drop-in friend. If any of you guys really know her, she's somebody that's got a schedule. She worked full time. She, you know, she had a full life. And I said, I really need help. And all of a sudden she's at my door and she was 12 stepping me. She came in, sat down on the couch and listened to my diatribe and said, what are you going to do about it? You know, what are you going to do? You have choices. What are you going to do? And I said, I, I really want to, I want to get abstinent. I want to do it. She said, well, I'm leaving on a trip around the world somewhere next, you know, two days from now. And I wish you the best and hope that you get it. So about a month later, she comes back and we're having this couples group at my home. And they, she and Bob come in and, and I had two weeks of abstinence at that time. And I, yeah, I finally surrendered. You know, I don't know what it takes for people to surrender. I can't tell you. I mean, I'm working with a group of women now that there's a couple of relapsers and they can't figure out how to stop. And I, I say, I don't, I can't tell you how to stop. It just happens when you're ready and you're willing to do whatever you have to do to stop and ask God for help. I mean, it's the bottom line. There's just no easy answer. There's no rock to sit on. There's no book to read. There's no sponsor to have. There's no Maggie to have. 
it's all about your spiritual connection to your higher power and 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 all the rest helps all the rest is part of our action plan so i came into oa and in san mateo and i just love that group um sherry and i never got along in the beginning you know we were both control freaks and so you know we'd have these arguments about where the chairs went you know i just love her with all my heart today <laughs> and that meeting was really really good for me because it was solid and you know the structure you know i love the structure of of that particular meeting because it's it's not rigid but it's loving and um there was always people available to sponsor i go to my saturday morning meeting there's 49 people and there's one sponsor available which to me is atrocious i mean i can help anybody get started i may not be able to go long term but i can certainly get somebody started and i think we all have that responsibility that's my opinion um i i got in OA and i started going to meetings i went to this dinner with a bunch of aas every friday night for a couple of years with my own salad they thought what the hell's wrong with her she brings her tupperware bowl of salad every friday night and then we'd all go to a meeting and it got so if i didn't bring that salad bowl they were worried about me you know i'd order the protein and put it on my salad and they all wanted my salad by the after a couple of weeks you know they all wanted my salad you know i've just so blessed it's not been easy for me i still have a lot of food compulsion thoughts i want you know if i, I can get stuck on jicama for years you know never change it um you know i just get i get into the food in a way that's i get into healthy food but i get into compulsivity and that is not not the way it needs to be for me i mean it's it is what it is but it's something i've had to really work with i did the steps i remember doing my fourth and fifth my fifth step in the library at san mateo library with maggie and going through all the steps and um and really um realizing that my character defects was what you know the things that kept me wanting to eat you know, the defects of shame, the defects of pride, the defects of fear, all those things kept me stirred up and I want to eat. Um, I love being involved in the program. I, I've I have trouble being involved in the structured business sections of it. Um, and I found ways to work with that. Like I said, I started two meetings and we have all the positions filled and you know they're they're good happy meetings and there and there's a lot of recovery and more importantly there's a lot of helping each other and that to me is what it's all about this is all about giving god's grace to each other it's about seeing the god in you seeing the god in you no matter what's going on with you you know if you just came out of a cookie bin i don't care i can see the god in you i can see that you are loved and you're just hurting yourself and that's what I've done my whole life. My whole life, I've just used ways to hurt myself. And I'm not doing it anymore. I'm sure there'll be a day I do it again, but mostly I'm not doing it anymore. So my topic is keep coming back. Um, I don't know if I've made any sense, but I've been so grateful to be here and share and thank you. <laughs>